Good morning, everyone. Uh, we're reading from Luke chapter 1. It's on page 723. And we're reading from verses 26 to 38. The birth of Jesus foretold. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Amen. Have you ever met somebody who has the same name as yourself? Anyone, put up your hand if you've had that experience. Wow, I'm stunned. You've met someone with the same name as yourself. I wonder what that experience was like for you. How did that feel uh, when you met that person with exactly the same name? Uh, obviously, uh, if you've got a very common name like um, John Smith or Mary Brown, it's more likely to happen to you than for others. But uh, for many of us, we've never met anyone with the same name as our... I've never met any other person called Scott Donnellan. And I wonder what that would be like if I did. But they do exist. I uh, did a quick check on Google uh, yesterday, uh, and that's all it took for me to learn about some of the other Scott Donnellans who live in the world... There are, there are at least five others. Uh, two, of them, uh, two of us live in Australia, three of us three live in America. Uh, we, we have different jobs. Uh, there is a doctor. There is a guy that uh, runs a furniture company. There's a real estate agent, a financial consultant, a school teacher, and then, of course, there's little old me. I have a friend who's a bit sort of on the zany side of life, and he... Uh, uh, decided to start up a Facebook group uh, and he only invited people uh, to join that Facebook group from around the world who had the same name as himself. So it became the society of people with that same name. Can you imagine if they decided to have a meeting uh, to get together? Uh, they wouldn't need name tags, would they? Now, at the time of Jesus... Uh, people only had one name, although generally they'd uh, have their name, but they would also be referred to as the son of uh, their father. 
And when parents gave their children their name, they did so after a great deal of thought because the meaning of a name was very, very important. Uh, in today's passage, if you might, you might like to have it open uh, at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to uh, 38, in Luke chapter 1, we learn about the extraordinary way that Jesus received his name. Now, before we look into that, one of the uh, things that I've, one of the problems I think that we have with Christmas is that we get just a little bit too familiar with it. Uh, we think of the shepherds, we think of the uh, wise men, we think of the manger and the angels, and it's all very nice. But we can sometimes fail to see why this event is so important. And one of the important things that we see in this passage is the coming of an angel. Now, the, the word angel, of course, uh, simply means messenger. And here, if you have a look at verse 1, we're told that God had sent an angel, that is a messenger, to the town of Nazareth in Galilee. Now, why was that so significant? Well, it was very significant because of the fact that God had now sent a messenger. You see, for a long time, God had been silent. Uh, God had not spoken to his people. Uh, in church here, we have just last week finished a series of sermons on the book of Ezra. And in our Bibles, uh, the Old Testament books are not placed in the order in which they happened historically. They're grouped together according to their literary form. And if you think historically, the story of the Old Testament actually ends on, with Ezra slash Nehemiah. Those two books really ought to be considered together. And these are the books which tell the story of uh, how God's people returned from exile in Babylon uh, to Jerusalem and Judea in order to rebuild Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. The message right through the Old Testament was that one day God would forgive his people, that God's kingdom would be great, and that the king of Israel would be the king of the entire world. But yet in these last two books of the, Bible, of the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, we see that uh, it's been a great failure. Last week we saw from, ne from Ezra how it was that uh, God's people by the end of the book had sinned greatly against God. Indeed, in the book of Nehemiah, which follows Ezra, we learned that uh, God's people had made certain promises to God, but, didn't, but by the end of Nehemiah, they had broken every one of those promises that they had made. And that's where the Old Testament ends, on a note of failure and sin. It was also the end of God sending messengers to his people for a long time. Uh, in, our, in our Bibles, the separation between the Old Testament and the New Testament is just one piece of paper, isn't it? But historically, uh, the separation is in fact 400 years of silence from God. 400 years is a long time, isn't it? Uh, think about what happened during those, those 400 years. 
when the Old Testament ended, the Persian Empire was the great empire that ruled that part of the world. But then the Persians were defeated by the emergent Greek Empire under Alexander. And the Greeks ruled that part of the world. And then the Romans rose up in their power and authority and influence and then they conquered the Greeks. And the Romans, in, they, the, the Romans uh, ruled the world at the time when Jesus was born. So in other words, an entire world empire, that is the Greeks, came and went during that period of silence from God. There was no word from the Lord for four centuries but here, in Luke chapter 1, God's silence is broken because he sends a messenger to a young teenage girl whose name, of course, was Mary. Let's have a look at uh, verses 26 to 27 uh, where it, it says of what happened that in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel uh, to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And so note there uh, Mary's marital status. She was pledged to be married to Joseph. Wasn't married yet, but was pledged to be. It's interesting the way that uh, things have changed between uh, then and now, and especially in terms of the difference between an engagement and, and, a, and a marriage. Uh, it's different. In fact, it's hard these days to know what the difference between an engagement and a marriage is because people live as if they were married. Uh, there was a church wedding of a couple by the name of Dan and Tracy, and it was reported in the newspaper because... After the minister said, I now pronounce you husband and wife, uh, Dan pulled out his mobile phone, updated his uh, Facebook status from single to married, uh, gave, a, gave another phone to his bride. She updated her Facebook status from single to married. Someone took a photograph and uploaded that onto the World Wide Web. And all of that happened in time for him then to kiss his bride. <laughs> it's a different world that we live in, isn't it? Have you updated your Facebook status recently? <laughs> but as I say, these days it's different to know what the difference between being engaged and being married actually is with some folk. But it was even more different at the time of Jesus because in the first century in Judea, to be engaged to someone carried the same kind of commitment as being married, uh, such that uh, it was without sexual relationship but in order for a person to break off an engagement, they would have to go through a formal process of divorce. I don't know what people do these days if they break an engagement. Send an SMS message, something like that. I don't know. Well, in verse 27, uh, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And what we see here about Joseph is uh, interesting because Joseph is said to be a direct descendant of Israel's great king, King David. So he was of royal lineage. Now what was the great message which God had sent this messenger to deliver? Verses 30 to 33. 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now that is an extraordinary promise that the angel is making because the event that he is describing, the birth of this particular child, given what this child will do, means that that birth is the central event in all of human history. It is the event uh, by which we split our calendars, isn't it? Before Christ and Anno Domini the year of our Lord, B.C. and A.D. The whole of human history is split, is divided at this central point in order to signify the sheer importance of what was happening here. The Old Testament had ended with sin and the failure of Israel. And as I said last week, what that does is it points us to uh, the fact that there needs to be a saviour. There needs to be a king who would come and would rule over God's people forever. Now what the angel told Mary was actually not new because the prophets of the Old Testament had looked forward to this event. Uh, for example, and I've printed it for you on your uh, outlines there, in Isaiah chapter 7 uh, verses 14, this is written 800 years before Jesus came approximately. And Isaiah the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now that's different to Jesus, isn't it? It's a different name, but what does the word Emmanuel mean? Uh, the word Emmanuel means God with us. That's its meaning. And so what Isaiah was saying 800 years before Christ was that this child would be God living amongst his people. God in the flesh. Uh, he was no ordinary person. He was the creator of the universe come as man. Uh, Paul says in Colossians that he is the one for whom and through whom all things have been made. And that's why, by the way, in the Christmas carol, uh, you know, Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Great lyrics, aren't they? Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with man to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel, our God with us. Friends, we needed that. Because of our, the sinfulness of our human hearts, because we all rebel against God, uh, we deserve God's judgment. And it was necessary for God to become one of us, not just to live with us, but also to die for us. Now remember, uh, although Isaiah said his name shall be called Emmanuel, the angel told Mary that uh, he, she is to give him another name, that she was to call him Jesus. 
What does the name Jesus mean? It means the Lord saves. The Lord saves. And the reason for that is that this one who would be called Emmanuel was God come amongst us in order to save us from the punishment we deserve because of our sins. And he saved us, of course, by the great event we celebrate at Easter time, by taking our punishment upon himself by dying on the cross. Now, there are some people who say that this is just not true. Uh, there are people who say that Jesus was in fact just an ordinary man, special in that he was gifted, but that he was just a man. There are other people, particularly religious people, for the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, they say that Jesus was not God, but Jesus was a God with a lowercase g. Uh, they say that uh, God created Jesus as a being slightly higher than human beings, but that he was a created being, created in order to come and live amongst us. But neither of these are true. Uh, this is false teaching uh, because, and, and we can see why it was the fact that God himself needed to come because the only sacrifice which is strong enough, the only sacrifice which is sufficient to pay for your sin and to pay for my sin and the sins of the whole world is the sacrifice of God himself in the person of his son. Any less sacrifice than that, well, you might as well have the sacrifice of goats and lambs and sheep and cows, the whole Old Testament system which only pointed to the reality that God himself would come in the person of his son and die on the cross. Now, another great uh, Old Testament prophecy in respect to this is uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, where Isaiah says in verses 6 and 7, let me read this for you. Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That is, he will rule. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. It's a bit hard to get around that one, isn't it? Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will reign on David's throne. Now, Jesus, uh, through his, through his um, legal father, Joseph, is in direct lineage to King David. He would be called the son of the Most High God. He would sit on the throne of David. He would be the everlasting ruler over Jacob's household, Jacob meaning Israel. He would rule over God's people. Now, that's an extraordinary message. Just put yourself in Mary's place for a moment. <laughs> Young teenage girl, an angel of the Lord appears to her and uh, tells her 
that she is about to give birth and the child that she gives birth to will be, in fact, God come in the flesh. That's kind of a stunning piece of information, don't you think? How did Mary react to that? Well, it's interesting because in verse 34, Mary's big question is, she, she says, well, hang on a moment. How can this happen? How can I have a baby? I'm, I'm still a virgin. I've never slept with any, I'm not married. How could it be? Did you know that there's some church leaders who teach that the virgin birth is just a myth? Uh, they say it was made up by the early church just in order to spice up the story a little bit. Extraordinary, isn't it? It's funny because they have no problems believing in IVF. They have no problems believing that uh, you know, doctors can cause a, a woman to be a surrogate mother, um, but they can't believe that the God of the universe can do the same sort of thing. You know what that's called? Sin. It's called lack of trust, lack of faith in God. The angel Gabriel had no doubts about it. Take a look at how he answered Mary's question in verse 35, uh, where he says to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Lord, uh, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. A pregnant virgin? How could that be? And what would Joseph think? Well, we know what Joseph thought when we look at Matthew's account. When he heard about it, he thought that uh, she had um, basically been sexually immoral. He had in mind to divorce her quietly until an angel spoke to him and told him otherwise. That's what he thought. And um, the, uh, the, the important point here, though, is the angel's astonishing answer and that is that the baby would be a gift conceived by God's Holy Spirit. Now the fact that uh, Mary is a virgin is true uh, and it does really demonstrate that what happened in terms of the conception was a miracle because she was a virgin but it's actually not the, the most important point here. People actually make too big a deal about the fact that Mary was a virgin and somehow then uh, come up with distorted views on sexuality and uh, distorted views on Mary herself. The important point is that the child was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that he was not uh, genetically connected with either Joseph or with Mary. And that's of great significance because all humans are affected by original sin, that sinful nature which has been passed down from Adam uh, right down to, uh, to you and me. And that's why we need a saviour. We need someone who is free from original sin. And that's one of the reasons God sent his own son. Jesus was free of sin. He was the perfect sacrifice for ours. Impossible, some people might say. But the angel said to Mary in verse 36, you think this is not possible for you to have a baby? Go and check out your cousin Elizabeth. Because <laughs> she was barren. And now guess what? what's happened? She's having a baby. Go and check out Elizabeth. Because in verse 37, nothing 
is impossible with God. Nothing. So let me ask you the question I started off with. Have you ever met anyone with the same name as yourself? It was amazing to see how many of you have. Uh, I've never. But I did a Google search on Peter Charles. I've got to tell you, hundreds, thousands of them. They're all over the place. Dime a dozen. <laughs> Common as anything. What about Jesus? You know what, the chances are that Jesus would have met another person by the name of Jesus. Uh, in the New Testament, uh, there are two people called Jesus. Uh, one of them is a guy who we've, who's spoken about in, uh, in the book of Colossians. Um, the Hebrew name for Jesus uh, is Joshua, or uh, as it's sometimes called, Yeshua. And in the Old Testament, as far as I can tell, there's about ten of them, ten of them uh, in the Old Testament. So all up in the Bible, there's about a dozen Jesuses. It was a common name at that time. But there's only one who truly lives up to his name. And about this time next week, we're going to be celebrating his birthday, aren't we? It's not actually his birthday, December the 25th, but it's a good time to celebrate that God became flesh and dwelt amongst us, that he is Emmanuel, and that his name was Jesus because he died to save us from our sins. But what we see also in this passage is that he is the ruler of God's everlasting kingdom, that he sits on the throne of David. And so the question for us next week as you're enjoying Christmas Day, getting, eating too much food, enjoying family and friends, exchanging presents, sleeping it off in the afternoon, the important thing is to think about, well, what role does Jesus play in your life now? Uh, is he the ruler over your life? Are there areas in your life where Jesus needs to be allowed to rule a bit more? He is God in the flesh. He came to save and he came to rule over us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Jesus. Uh, we thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your only begotten Son into our world to live amongst us, indeed to die for us. And we pray, Father God, that he would rule over us, that we would live our lives in, in obedience to him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.